Welcome to Girl Geek X Podcast, connecting you with insights from women in tech. This is Angie. This is Sukrita. This is Gretchen. And I'm Rachel, the producer of this podcast. And we're the team behind Girl Geek X. This podcast brings you the best of Girl Geek X events, dinners, and conferences, where we've been elevating women in tech for over 10 years. And today we'll be continuing our conversation about unconventional journeys, since Gretchen, you weren't here last time to give us your perspective uh, as the non quote unquote non-technical person in tech. And also having worked in tech for a longer time. <laughs> like how you're so delicate. <laughs> You're like, you as were, long as you have. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you have. I was like, you were talking about You're 25 years. Your elders. Yeah, like 22 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot in the last one about, like, obviously you don't need to have a CS undergrad to be very successful in tech, but also that there are other really unconventional journeys for people that maybe don't end up in technical roles, but they also, you know, weren't four years old going, I want to work in tech. So yeah, like we have so much more fun stuff to cover today too. One thing that we touched on in our last episode, but could definitely dive into more is how family affects people's career journeys. Have you seen any examples of people who have like had a kid and then come back and gone even further in their career than people would expect or just like had their journey affected in some way. In our last episode, I talked about um, the woman who was working and doing consulting and, you know, had two sons and then came back to work at a big company and has continued to rise in the ranks um, after she returned. Um, and there's a lot of, I think a growing awareness of returnships for women who are exactly um, of this of this type of women are coming back saying, I'm looking for a ramp to come back to tech or any industry. And there's companies, um, usually the larger companies with names you probably know, um, like Walmart and PayPal that do have these returnships that are available. And I don't want us to sound like, oh, you have to like have a baby and go leave and then come back, right? Like obviously there are many ways to do it. And I think one of the things that I've observed the most is women talking about how much better of a manager they are after they're a mom um, and how all of those skills like translate and that they're just um, much more efficient with their time. Um, and they have a better sort of understanding of what motivates groups and teams. And so I think that's one of the things I probably observe the most. So, Krutha, what have you seen? I remember when um, Sugar CRM first sponsored a Girl Geek Dinner, and their CEO had four, uh, she had four kids. And in my head, that sounded, you know, I was in my 20s, so I was like, oh, my God, how did she do it? And uh, she told us a story about how when her uh, one of her children was really little, how they knew she worked in software but didn't really understand it and thought it was silverware. And so um, he would tell his friends that she worked in silverware because he didn't know the difference. <laughs> but I, I, I know that like when I got into tech and... Um, you know, I started working, I thought, oh, it's going to be impossible to like, be able to have, you know, a a flourishing career and have kids. But, uh, you know, through attending dinners, I started to meet more and more great examples of men and women who had had children uh, through their careers. 
I mean, I I really am grateful for Girl Geek Dinners uh, in the very beginning. The first when the first dozen dinners meeting women who were obviously on maternity leave or um, coming back from it and just their enthusiasm in coming to Girl Geek Dinners and pursuing their careers and still having one or two or three children. And then also hearing there's some amazing women CEOs who have four or five, um, I think, YouTube uh, she has maybe five children, four, kids, four children, okay. and is running a huge company. So I think to me, I've always seen nothing but role models and people out there who are doing it. But I also think that um, there is a a price to pay. People have talked about the price of that um, really expensive childcare, that really expensive night nanny, that really expensive nanny that are employed to help women go back to the workforce um, and really crush it at their jobs. Something that spoke to me, um, they were actually all parents at the panel and they spoke about how returning back from parental leave being tough, um, they're trying to force it to become more of a norm. So they were one of the first companies to introduce equal leave for moms or dads at the company and that encouraged more men to take leave as well and that made it less stressful for the women to take leave. I remember that event. I was really grateful that there was these women who were candidly talking about how they had kids and they came back and they're happy to be here. And here are some things to do. Like when you come back from maternity leave, come back to work on a Wednesday or Thursday. So you only have one or two days before the weekend because you'll need that. And then you'll kind of helps you ease back into working. So just being more candid about these experiences has been, I think, definitely encouraging. Yeah, they also talked about, and I've also heard this from a lot of people, like, forgive yourself if you're going to take some time to adjust back. It's it's going to take time. I feel like while we were talking awkwardly about, you know, how family fits into women's career journeys, it is something that comes up a lot at Girl Geek Dinners um, in the Q&A section or um, offstage. So I think it is important to talk about however awkwardly we do it. It is weird to talk about as a table of women who have had zero children, but yeah, that's why we have a great quote from I know. an expert. Like this is perfect because we have a great um, quote from Sheila Marcello, who is the CEO and founder of Care.com, um, which is the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care and pet care and like all this other stuff. And I think what's really amazing is Sheila is not only a founder, not only a CEO of a publicly traded company, she's also Filipina. And as we're going to learn in this next quote, um, she actually had a child between or got pregnant between her sophomore and junior year in college, um, had the baby and is still doing all of those amazing things. So I think if there's anyone qualified to talk about this particular topic, it's definitely Sheila. After I got pregnant in college, I started to veer from my parents' plans. I wasn't going to follow that designated profession, unfortunately. Tough for my tiger mom. Um, and to think about it, my Catholic parents were very, very upset when I got pregnant between my sophomore and junior year in college and decided to get married and keep the baby. And so my husband and I were, were pretty much on our own. My parents weren't speaking to me. Uh, they didn't expect sending me to women's college would result in my being a young mother. <laughs> they thought that men were not allowed on campus at Mount Holyoke College. <laughs> Lo and behold, they were very surprised. 
And then fast forward when I was in grad school, uh, another surprise pregnancy. Adam, who's now 18, lovely gift, I call him. Uh, (laughs) And during that time, I decided after uh, HBS um, that I would join an internet company. And again, we needed help because the hours were so demanding that I asked my parents to come from the Philippines at this point. They were talking to me. They wanted to be a part of, of of their grandchildren's life. Uh, They came, and then my father had a heart attack while he was carrying baby Adam up the stairs. My father's alive today. He's all healthy. Um, But that was a big struggle for us because the whole point of my parents coming to the United States was actually to help care for baby Adam. And I found myself at 29 years old stuck between child care and senior care. And I was also getting catapulted in my career at a young age to join um, a management team at You Promise, helping families save money for college. And I didn't, I didn't have great care. And it was really hard. And I was going home working at a technology company, but using the yellow pages to look for care. So something really didn't add up, which really led to the next question. When I decided to start uh, my own business, I had to ask myself, what impact did I want to have? On the world, despite all the difficulty and challenges that I'd faced so far. Her story is a great reminder that um, for women, the challenges are not just um, family in the sense of children, but aging parents um, and also a lot of other types of life struggles um, that are natural, but also just makes it tough to uh, really lean into that. As she said, you know, fast-paced management consulting job. I think it's really beautiful how she founded her own company just out of this great need that she was experiencing and saw so many other women experiencing just taking that frustration of not being able to find good care and from that really bringing together her tech experience and really just solving an issue that was really important to her. I think it's a great story. Yeah, to me, like the first thing I I thought of was that's amazing that she saw a need and she tried to fix it. Um, And she obviously had, you know, reasons along the way that could have slowed her down. Um, But she worked around her challenges and her constraints and she was still able to follow her dreams, which was really impressive. And I think what we saw at the Care.com event, which is on our YouTube channel, if you guys want to check it out, was how focused the culture at care.com is on creating um, a place for parents. Like every woman who spoke opened with her personal story, which often included her children. Sometimes I think that can be something that women feel like is their personal life and not their professional life. And how in this organization, um, you bring your full self to work and that your children are, are sort of part of your journey. Yeah. And I also thought it was really cool how she called out that, you know, caring for her children and caring for her parents were just as important. And that's why she tried to solve for both, um, which is something that we don't always talk about. We talk about maybe caring for kids, but we're not always talking about the the impact when we ha- we are in a stage where we're taking care of, you know, older family members. So that was interesting to me. I mean, Sheila's definitely like this 
crazy example of like an unconventional journey, right? Like you just sort of look at her with all of these different things um, and different sort of twists and turns that her life took um, and she's just standing stronger than ever, right? So I think that's really inspiring. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot that we can learn from that story. And I think our conversation around unconventional journeys so far has revolved a lot around people specifically in tech and technical roles. But what about people whose path isn't all technical? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I'm the the elder stateswoman at the table. And, you know, if you talk to someone who's been at the in tech for more than like probably 15 years, like there, that just wasn't even a path that people thought about. Like, I mean, most people's stories are just going to be like some random, like one day I, whatever, like mine is crazy. Like I have a theater undergrad. Um, I was going to go to law school. So I have a pre-law degree um, with a Spanish minor. So those are all like very highly employable, very looked for. Um, so what I was when I finished college was like a really overeducated waitress. Um, and I moved to San Francisco and just waited tables for a couple of years. And then I started temping. And one day I got sent to this, like, it wasn't even a real company. It was like a four bedroom flat in the Marina district of San Francisco with 17 people. Like people were working inside closets Um, There was no Wi-Fi, so all the walls were knocked out, like, trying to wire it. And I was, like, called my friend from a payphone. Um, (laughs) It was, like, like 1997, I think. And I was, like, this isn't even a real company. Like, I am so not staying here. Like, this is ridiculous. As soon as this temp kick's over, I'm done. Um, But they gave me more and more responsibility. And, you know, the company grew from, like, 17 people to 145 in, like, 18 months. And I was just given, like, crazy level of responsibilities. And so... But you'll find a thousand stories like mine, right? Of just like, I don't know, I fell into it. Like it was certainly, I mean, it was definitely not in the theater pre-law Spanish plan, right? (laughs) To end up working in tech. There's so many roles in tech too. Like you could be um, a designer and then get into like a tech company or you could be in finance and get into a tech company. When I started working, one of the things I thought about where I wished I knew it would end up becoming a job was the UX designer where people came with, you know, creative backgrounds and then they were designing the look and feel of software. And to me, that was super fascinating. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not naturally creative or I would have like tried to consider that, but, um, you know, or at least tried to be trained in it but um there's so many various avenues you don't have to get into it coding um you know and maybe you need to know the basics to understand how it all flows and the logic behind it but I I mean there's so many ways to get into tech two women shared their journeys to non-tech roles during our dinner with Strava Amanda Sim is a senior brand designer who brings the Strava brand to life and is constantly examining how athletes think about Strava. Leah Siebert is a product manager at Strava, and she brings 15 years of operating experience in product development. How did I arrive at being an in-house brand designer? When I looked back on my full career, I like kind of did this little and I noticed that a lot of my work was in consulting. And so what that meant was a huge breadth of work 
but I didn't really get to go super deep because a client would essentially, as a consultant, they would come up to me, tell me a little bit about their company, maybe push some brand guidelines toward me. And then it was my job as a consultant before Strava to like come up with some designs, make some suggestions, like present it. And everyone's like, whoa, that's so shiny and you. I love it. And I'd be like, peace. And then the in-house designers would have to like pick up all the pieces and then quickly scramble to try to figure out how to make sense of it. Um, so I felt like it was like really love them and leave them. And I was like having a blast. But I really wanted to see how my design could be implemented, get out into the world what the feedback was on that, and then how it could evolve into something else or how it would change over time. And so, bam, Strava. Um, I came to Strava uh, in-house. For me, this was a huge move. It was a little like settling down. I've been fortunate to sort of make my way around the block in terms of the different functional roles. I started my career as an engineer, designer of physical things. That was incredibly motivating, but also really tough because you never got to see the impact of your work. I was just talking to someone earlier today about how you'd have to wait for somebody from sales or some one of the 10 doctors that you're trying to influence to come and, um, and give you the case story. So from engineering, I moved into design. I was fortunate to be one of the early members of the Stanford D School. There was designing physical spaces to try to change behaviors of teams. And then finally, this more recent chapter has been in digital product development, where that experimentation and that exploration can be so fast and really fun. I'm personally really passionate about how people share expertise with each other. And I've been able to work on that in education, in shopping, in e-commerce, and more recently in health and wellness. So three chapters of career, all, believe it or not, they don't quite hang together in the way that you'd expect, but led me to Strava. <laughs> So I think it's really interesting that both of these women talked about these transitions in terms of what was exciting to them about the work or what stage of something they like to be most involved in. So like with Leah talking about really being able to be involved in the process of designing instead of coming up with cool stuff and then leaving and and then Leah talking about being able to actually see the impact of her work being really motivating because we've talked a lot about journeys being motivated by like skills that people want to learn or people just falling into something. But I think, yeah, thinking about it as like what challenges in the workplace are exciting to you or just like how you want to approach a project is a different way to think about yeah, navigating an unconventional journey. I mean, I think that's one of the things I love about tech. Like within my career, I've jumped into so many different roles, right? Like I've done sales, I've done marketing, I've done product design, like done business development in like all of its different iterations, right? And so I think what I love about their story is that they bring this different perspective and tech is still such a young industry that it needs that. It needs that outside force. Like things can get very stale. And so if you're bringing, you know, when we're talking about like having cognitive diversity at the table, if you're bringing someone in to de design something that like their background is in physical design, like they're going to look at it with like this completely different lens. Um, and that's going to be so additive to the process of really like remaining innovative. I like how Leah's story talks about three different parts of a career leading her to Strava. And that was really fascinating and inspiring for people who 
think that they have to follow this one straight path to get into tech or to get into a role that they are really passionate about. I enjoyed hearing from women who came from consulting backgrounds and how they um, came into uh, in-house and to the, in the tech industry to kind of complete the cycle and see their um, their thoughts be implemented and then iterate on them. That was really fun. There's a lot of people who are trying to like somehow follow it idea of like how to be technical and then the supposed like prescribed answer to that is to learn how to code which is um you know spending time learning how software is made um and sort of even just studying like the software development life cycle which like if you google that there's so much information in there and like sort of understanding what products go in what part of the process and um, what stack your company uses and maybe like a little background in database architecture. And then that's way better than understanding like a command in Python, right? Like that's going to be incredibly valuable for you. I absolutely agree. I spent a lot of time um, talking to um, entrepreneurs and they're always saying, should I code my own first prototype myself? And I often tell them, um, don't, it's not worth your time to learn to code that just get someone to do it for you. And so that's a good test of whether you're meant to be a CEO or a salesperson. Um, and to the point of what's non-technical, um, I think there is this idea that code is technical and nothing else is. Um, and if anyone watches the OA, they have, they talk about the, the technology of movement. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, that's, that's basically like, there's so many ways to think about like, even like sewing and math and, um, analysis as technical. So I don't know why only coding is technical in some Silicon Valley, um, rhetoric. And even when you like go into engineering management after point, you're not directly coding, but you have to have an, a high level understanding of what the architecture is. So um, even when you're in a more technical role um, and you make, you know, a lateral transition, you can't constantly be um, in touch with every single new coding language that comes out. You have to understand the concept concept of it and move on. And, um, you know, since I started my career in tech, there have been so many changes in coding languages. There's always something new. And you can't like learn every single line of it. You just can't. And there's an opportunity cost to that too, right? Of learning something that would actually give you a deeper understanding or more expertise in your functional role, right? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So Rachel, I'm curious how it looks because you're fairly new to Silicon Valley and you work in the nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. So what's the rhetoric that you hear sort of as like, do people think you should work in tech and then what's their advice or? I think definitely when I first moved here and was still job hunting, there was a lot of pressure to just explore tech or try to establish contacts in tech. Very much just like, oh, you're here. So you you got to be doing tech. And I think, yeah, now in the nonprofit space, I'm definitely seeing a lot more roles that are, are technical, but still within nonprofits. For example, yeah, data management and analysis is becoming really important in the nonprofit space, just because everyone who's funding you wants to know what's happening with their money and being able to give them like really great data that shows 
what you're doing and what improvements you're making is really essential. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of space for unconventional tech journeys, definitely in the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Priya Nakra, a product manager, shared her experience being labeled non-technical during our dinner with Blend. In her two years as a product manager in the company, she has risen through the ranks from a customer success consultant to enterprise integrations manager to her current role today. So it took me a while to understand, but being called technical is a spectrum. It means completely different things to completely different people all across industries. I had taken coding classes in school because my major was industrial engineering. Um, But when I went to my first job in corporate consulting, you were either marked as functional or technical. There wasn't really anything in between. I was told by my manager several times that if I wasn't learning how to code or actively with uh, the engineers looking at code and debugging things or drawing systems architecture diagrams for our customers, I wasn't technical. And after four and a half years on the functional project management track, it was too late to try and be technical. And that's what I told myself uh, when I joined Blend as well. But much to my initial chagrin and eventual appreciation, the deployment lead job that I took at Blend almost two years ago led me to our largest enterprise customer, which is Wells Fargo, who also happened to have the most complex and antiquated integration points. Um, So I didn't really have a choice but to at least learn the basics of how Blend could talk to other systems um, and uh, their architecture in general. So I started with the bare minimum, uh, understanding what systems Wells had, what systems we had, how we pass data from one system to another in order to support the process of, of the cycle of a loan. Um, Then I dabbled a little bit into error handling, alerting and monitoring, debugging some critical issues. Um, It was essentially the equivalent of me tepidly dipping my toes into the really vast sea that is the technical world. Um, It was at this time and during this project that our head of technical integrations, Ursula Alsenia, um, who's also our only female engineering group lead, uh, she she and I were sharing a glass of wine in uh, sunny Des Moines, Iowa, when we were at the Wells Fargo office, and we kind of realized that we had these really symbiotic complementary strengths, right? She had a team of integration engineers who needed a lot of structure, and I could provide that with my functional project management. And in turn, I could learn a lot about what it means to manage technical products. Um, So it was because of this and because of where Blend was as a company, she and I sort of created together this enterprise integrations program manager role where I could, again, learn more about being technical and also provide a lot of structure for her engineers. So it sounds like Priya's comments relate a lot to things that you all have seen about people being labeled technical or non-technical. And I think Priya's story will probably resonate with a lot of people like it definitely does with me because you sort of learn the skills as you go along as like a survival, right? Like way back in the day um, at like one of my very first startups the marketing pages and the production code were all intertwined. And so if I wanted to change a sentence on the page, I had to wait for the next push. And this is like pre sort of like we were still very waterfall method. So, you know, you learn HTML and you learn CSS and you learn ways of like not having to go ask or you learn you know, how to run a few basic database queries because you're looking for specific data to tell a story for sales or for marketing or whatever. And you just need, you can't think of like exactly what data you need right away. And you need to play with it a little bit and look at different bits and pieces. And so 
to get your job done, you don't want to rely on someone else and you just sort of pick up these skills as you go along. Like definitely for me, that's how it worked. I like how, um, I like how Priya talks about how she learned the basics of the systems and architectures in general, and that made it easier for her to get more of an understanding on the error handling and monitoring and things like that. Um, and she started small and she kept, you know, increasing her awareness, um, that obviously helped her in her final role. She didn't need to, she learned what she needed to learn. And although that may have happened as an accident, I think we can be, we can all plan to be a little bit more deliberate about finding what is it that we need to know. If we have to work across roles with someone else in a different role and understand what they're doing in order to bring more impact, especially when you're a product manager and you're putting in requirements, you kind of need to have some level of an understanding of how all the pieces work together. Um, so yeah, I, I liked I liked her journey. I liked how she talks about how being technical is a spectrum and how it means different things to different people across industries. Um, one of the things I like seeing in a lot of the Google made with codes, Instagram or social media stuff is how they always um, show how intertwined tech and art can be or how you can use something mildly technical like Google Docs or a spreadsheet or something to help with your baking. And did you know that, you know, baking is basically running an algorithm, which is very technical or how sewing can be technical. So I think it's it's always fun to kind of like remind ourselves that technical isn't just ones and zeros. And also that if we thought about fun, quote unquote functional roles, such as like HR or marketing, how we thought about tech, we would probably get further in moving those industries along. Well, I mean, sales and marketing, especially now, particularly in enterprise software, like you're essentially a statistician, right? Like that marketing funnel optimization is like dialed in, right? Like I think you're as technical as you will believe yourself to be. And that if you work in tech, you are definitely technical. You are certainly more technical than like someone who's not. Um, and I think my advice would be to like, don't be afraid, even if you don't totally understand what's going on and you don't want to ask in the middle of a meeting, like finding someone that you think will explain it to you. Um, I mean, you can always Google it, but I've never found that that particularly with like systems and how they work together. I've never found that like I, I'm a really visual person. So someone can sit down and draw me a picture and we can have a quick Q&A. And then I'm like, OK, got it. Now I know where this fits in to the big picture. I think what always kind of astonished me was how often we would think about what we don't have when we, before we think about what we do have. Mm. So I used to find myself saying things like, I don't have a CDS degree, but and then I talk about how I coded this and that. And then after it took me a long time to like realize what I was saying and then take out the part where I don't like apologizing for my lack of a degree in this particular thing. But I should have just started with like, I made this. Does anyone have final thoughts on unconventional journeys part two, the sequel? Um, I, I guess what we covered a few times was that there's no one straight journey and you know, if you were a salesperson in like a cosmetics company, you'd want to learn everything about the product. So you probably uh, think about it that way and try to understand if you were a salesperson in tech um, or trying to, you know, sell a product that's technical, how you how much level of detail do you need to know? Um, there's also a whole spectrum of what being technical means and don't try to 
fall into the trap that you have to learn how to code um, when you can just learn how all the systems work. I like that. Don't learn how to code. Just kind of try to understand the high level of how systems work. Um, maybe watch and uh, maybe uh, something on YouTube, one of those free college classes, the intro to or um, the episode that explains it all. Also, they can come to Girl Geek Dinners and listen to Girl Geeks talk about their technical processes and kind of pick up on the jargon and feel comfortable with it. And then when you go into interview, you'll have kind of been seeped in that that knowledge. There's this comic strip that compares living in New York and living in San Francisco. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> and it, um, it shows, you know, a group of people saying where they work, what they do. And while in the New York one, I, I think it says something like, oh, I'm in finance, I'm in sales. And yeah, the, the, the counterpart comic uh, drawing of San Francisco shows everyone saying they're in marketing, in tech, in sales, in tech, a lawyer in tech. So um, that's just how the how the environment might be around you. I mean, I think if I were going to give advice to my younger self, I would not let other people tell me how technical I was, because I think I believed that as I had all of these skills and was developing all of these skills. And I think I believed that for a long time until I sort of realized, wait, you guys are idiots. I actually know quite a lot about this and I'm kind of tired of being like talked down to or diminished in a conversation that I'm perfectly capable of participating in. I think this has been a super interesting conversation, just being like the blatantly non-tech person at the table <laughs> whenever we record these podcasts. But I think there are a lot of takeaways for me, even just not like complicating this tech, non-tech binary. Yeah. Just like there could be, yeah, a lot of possibilities for me. And now where I am in my career, I'm trying to take stock of, yeah, the things that are exciting or the things that the kind of problems that I really do like to solve or just how I feel like doing different types of work throughout the day. So I really am trying to think of the next steps in my career in that way. And Rachel, I think you're very technical in podcasts. I think that really counts. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Girl Geek X podcast. We'll be back soon with more advice from women in tech. This podcast is produced by me, Rachel Jones, with recording help from Eric Brown. To learn more about Girl Geek X or buy tickets to our next dinner, visit girlgeek.io. You can also find videos and transcripts from our events. If you're interested in hosting a Girl Geek dinner, email sponsors at girlgeek.io. This podcast was sponsored by Care.com. Since launching in 2007, Care.com has been committed to solving the complex care challenges that impact families, caregivers, employers, and care service companies. Today, Care.com is the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care. This podcast is also sponsored by Strava. Today, Strava helps millions train and share progress through free mobile apps and has created a community of athletes from all over the world. Designed by athletes for athletes, Strava's mobile app and website connect millions of runners and cyclists through the sports they love. This podcast is sponsored by Blend. Blend is a Silicon Valley technology company propelling the consumer lending industry into the digital age through partnerships with banks, lenders, and other technology providers.